This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. In early 20th century America, there are very few people who were more popular than Thomas Edison. It's interesting today that we live in a culture that is spurred on by so much innovation that those that are innovators really aren't standing out anymore. But at the early 20th century, when the mass inventions that have transformed culture were just starting to emerge, those that were behind them were somewhat like rock stars. As a matter of fact, during the development of the light bulb, the New York Times stationed a reporter outside of Edison's lab in Menlo Park. As they tested in the late hours filaments to determine what would be the best filament to go into a light bulb. They actually settled on bamboo, which is an odd little (laughs) discovery, but... Once they had developed the idea completely, they were so excited to build the first light bulb that his team of researchers stayed for a solid 24 hours working on one light bulb. And as it was completed and all the researchers and developers and workers were cleaning up Edison called a little boy, the son of one of his employees, to come and carry the light bulb upstairs to a person who was waiting for it. The boy was a little nervous, and as you can imagine, went up the stairs very gingerly, and I think you probably know where the story's going to go. The second to the last step, he dropped it. And the first light bulb that had ever been built that took a whole team, 24 hours, shattered on the steps. See, we think about the people in the Bible in a different light than we probably should. We, we think of them often in Understanding the end of their story, not really giving a full perspective to all their stories. The first thing that I would tell you today, and this is in your notes, is that we often misread the Bible as a book about people. When it's really a book about Jesus. Because a lot like that light bulb, a lot like that boy who carried the light bulb up the stairs... People are broken. We know that when sin entered the world, it shattered humanity. And so when we read the Bible as a story about people, people become our heroes in the Bible. But if you read it carefully, you can tell that these people shouldn't be our heroes. Because the Bible is a book about Jesus. Jesus is the hero. You see, if the scriptures were about people, it'd focus on our 
perfection, power, and promise. But it doesn't, does it? The Bible tells us that when we're weak, we're our strongest. Because that's a moment that God's strength can be made manifest in us. That when we are humble, God can use us. That when we get out of the way, we can let God fully intersect our lives and use us. See, the people in the Bible were flawed failures. Look at Moses, who most scholars believe stuttered and struggled to be in front of people. And most likely, based on the textual evidence, his brother Aaron was a phenomenal leader. Charismatic and drew people to himself, but God called Moses. And we're going to zero in on a story for the next three weeks that shows us not about that person. It doesn't, it's the, the story of Jonah is not about Jonah. It's about Jesus. It's about a God who is more than willing to give us a second chance. Because I don't know about you. I need that. See, the God of the Bible shows us over and over again that He is the God of second chances. He looks at Moses and Moses has committed murder. I don't know many of us in the room that have went that far yet. He's ran away from the authorities and fled to live for 40 years in isolation. And God looks at him and says, let's go. I'm going to use you to set my people free. And we begin the story of Jonah picking up really in the middle of a story. It's a Matter of fact, if you were to look into the Hebrew text, it, it literally begins to read as a continuance. In other words, there was work that has been done before now. So let's read Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Probably a better translation is then the word of the Lord. As if like the word of the Lord has been coming to Jonah. Jonah is a prophet. And then in the middle of his ministry, the word of the Lord came to go, go to Nineveh. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from 
the Lord. And that's really where we're going to stop today. There's a few questions that I would have upon first reading that passage. A few questions that I think we need to answer today. The first one is, who is Jonah? And why in the world are we reading a story about a guy named Jonah? Where did this thing come from? We know from what the Bible is telling us that Jonah was a prophet. And in those days, much like God uses preachers today to proclaim God's word, God used prophets to proclaim his word. And we understand that Jonah was a prophet that he was responsible for hearing from God and sharing what God had said to the people of God. So Jonah has been involved in the ministry. He's seen God work, and we know that God has used him before, and now he wants to use him again. Because the way that that story opens up, it lets us know that there is a backstory. To this. There's something that's happened before. This is just a continuation of what Jonah has been doing. So Jonah is, when we open the story, a man of God who has a history of speaking for God and most likely because of that, having to minister and help see people change, repent, and turn to God. What is God doing as this story opens up? Well, the first thing that we see in what God tells Jonah is that his attention has been drawn to the sinfulness of a city named Nineveh. God's attention has been drawn to a city named Nineveh and its sinfulness, its wickedness has become apparent to God. Now that doesn't mean that, that sometimes our, our sin is hidden from God. That's not how it works. But how many of you know that there are cities where the whole culture of that city somehow gets wrapped around sin? Maybe perhaps that there might be even a city that we would call it Sin City. Where what happens there stays there, right? How many of y'all, you, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? That, that a culture of a city can get so wrapped up in sin that that's what they're known for. And that's what we see happening here. And God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh and declare a very simple message. That God has seen your evil and he has already judged you for it. Notice, there's no invitation to repent. You're a sinner. God's judged you. The end. Right? Right? It's very pleasant. And we see that over and over and over again throughout those minor prophets and the prophets of Old Testament. Right? Their message is that sharp. Because it's really, God is saying, hey, ball's in your court now. This is, I, I see it. It's not hidden from me. You're under judgment for it. Now the ball's in your court. How are you going to react? And in that, 
we see that it's God's heart to give the city of Nineveh a second chance. From the very beginning of this story, it is God's heart to give that city a second chance. I mean, we've seen it. Sodom and Gomorrah, an immoral city that God just says, I'm going to wipe it off the earth. But not here. Not here. God says, go and give them a second chance. But what does Jonah do? In verse 3, it contains these words. Jonah ran away from the Lord. And here's what I want to point you to today. I don't want any of us to ever hear the voice of God and then it to be said of us that you ran away from God. I want you to forgive them. No, I'm running from that. I'm running away. I want you to be a giver. No, I'm running from that. I don't want to be that person. Let it not be said of us. I I, I want to show you on a map how, how idiotic Jonah is when the word of God comes to him. Look at this with me. Over here we see the, the Mediterranean Sea, all right? And if you look as the Mediterranean Sea crescents over there, in the middle of that is Israel. That's where he would have been. To the north is Nineveh. To the south is Joppa. Opposite directions. Where does he go? The opposite direction of what God said. He ran to Joppa, and then gets on a boat to sail to Tarshish, which is at the small, very narrow gate that opens into the Mediterranean Sea. He was straight up running from God. And the truth is, is that for many of us in here today, we are running from God. So why do we run? Why do we run from a God that most of us would confess is smarter than us? He loves us. He probably knows better than us what we need to do. Why do we run from him? The first reason that we run is that we're afraid. We're afraid. And I don't think that many of us are afraid that God's going to be right and we're going to be wrong. I don't think that that's where we are. But I do think that we're afraid to change. Even if what you're doing isn't working. We're all too often, when we encounter the truth of God, afraid to change. Because we know, we know that if I do what God is asking me to do, there is a cost associated with that. If I make this adjustment, one of the greatest, easiest, most practical examples is shifting to being someone who's faithful in their finances. Because I will tell you up front... 
that the principle of tithing is scary. And it is a cost. Most of us are living paycheck to paycheck and to say, I'm going to give 10% away to God? Really? I don't even know how I can make it. Because I barely make it with 100%. And we're afraid to look at God's plan and go, that's better than mine. But I want to tell you something. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. The cost that is associated with following Jesus is far less than the cost of not following him. The cost that you will pay to adjust your life to follow God is far less than the cost of not following him. We need to look into the heart of God and say, God, I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to, I'm this this cost that, is, that I have to make, it, it is just a part of the sacrifice of me following you. The second reason that we don't follow God, the second reason that we run is because we're ignorant. I just called you stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're ignorant. And we are. Far too many of us are simply ignorant to the voice of God in our lives. We wrestle with hearing and understanding God's plan. The thing is, is that most of us desire for God to come down and hand us a sheet of paper that gives us a road map. Here's where you're going. Here's the destination. Here are the steps in between here and there. And that's not at all what God is ever going to do for you. The truth is, is that God doesn't need you to understand his plan. I'm going to say that again. God doesn't need you to understand his plan. He doesn't need that. He needs you to follow. The truth is, is that if you're never, you'll, you'll never fully understand God's plan. If you're waiting to understand God's plan, you'll likely not be obedient. Because there are things that God is going to ask us to do in life that are simply irrational. Let's go back. Tithing is another phenomenal example. To say, God, I, I can barely make it on 100% right now. If I give away 10% of that, how in the world am I going to make it off of 90? It is not logical. And if you wait until you understand that to follow God's plan, if you wait until that moment 
that it, you look at everything and it, it all lines up. It all, no, because it doesn't make sense. God hasn't asked us to live by understanding. He's asked us to live by faith. That means that we look into the heart of God and say, God, you know better than me. Lead me. And we don't follow. We run because we're ignorant. The last reason we run. And this is what we see happening in the heart of Jonah is we're arrogant. We're arrogant enough to think we know better than God. We're arrogant enough to think we know better than Him. All right, God, I I know you want me to forgive this person that's wounded me, but I want to hold on to this bitterness a little bit longer. That's going to work out real good for me. Right? I mean, we, we, we encounter God's plan, but we say, no, God, I have a better plan. And it's not even sometimes that we say we have a better plan. It's just I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. And it's nothing but arrogance. If you're not humble enough to look into the heart of God and realize that he cares more for you then you care for yourself. Listen to that. He cares more for you than you care for yourself. Then you've probably already become your own God. And we run. Jonah ran because we're arrogant. As we go forward in this series, I'm going to take some time and explain why Jonah ran. But what we see happening as this story opens is that God has a heart to give us a second chance. That we serve a God Who is the God of second chances? So what does that look like? Why do we serve a God that has invested himself so much into giving us a second chance? And I don't know if you're like me. I know I, I, don't, I need like more, more second chances. Like you get those tickets at like the fun parks that just, I need like a lot of those tickets for second chances because I know that I'm going to need more. So why do we serve a God who has invested himself into people who fail him so tragically? The first thing that I would tell you is that God knows you're not perfect. God knows you're not perfect. And you probably know that you're not perfect too. But some of us forget that from time to time. And I'm not saying that if I sat down with you, you'd say, hey, I'm perfect. I, I'm, I'm going to get it right today. But I, I can see as some of us blow it 
that we kind of expected to get it right. (laughs) You ever seen that? Let's talk about it in reverse, that when we do something that is offensive to someone else and they come up and say, hey man, you just hurt my feelings when you said that. We get all perfect in that moment. I didn't hurt your feelings. I didn't mean to. Doesn't matter what you meant to do. You just hurt their feelings. You blew it. And it's okay. You know what? God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He knows that you're not perfect. The whole gospel is built on the assumption that you're not perfect. It's built on an understanding that we're all flawed. We're all failures. We're all going to blow it. That's why we need Jesus, because only Jesus is perfect. We can never earn the grace of God. We can never be good enough for God to accept us. You can't be perfect, and God knows that, and he loves you anyway. In spite of your imperfections. I want you to listen to this. Because we get a little bipolar in that concept. Some of us are on the side where we're like, I can be, I can get it all right. If I work hard enough, if I get, and then some of us are like, I'm never going to get it right. I ain't going to try it all, right? We're a little bipolar in that. But listen to this. God accepts you in your imperfections. But he doesn't leave you to your imperfections. God accepts you right now in your imperfections, but he refuses to leave you to your imperfections. The love of God is a force that changes us. And if we just sit there and say, I'm just, I'm not perfect, we're not allowing God to encounter us and to transform us because He refuses to leave us there. But He will accept you in the middle of your imperfections because He does not expect you to be perfect. The second thing, that we need to see is that progress is only made by those who try. Progress is only made by those who try. And I'm going to tell you something that many of you are phenomenally scared of. Trying always involves the risk of failing. Trying always involves the risk of failing. And I think that God knows that and loves us in spite of our fear of failing. That's why even, let's go back to finances. In Malachi 3, when God invites us to be tithers, to give 10% of our income to God. He says, test me on it. Just test me. I know you're afraid that if you try this, you're going to fail. I know that you're afraid that if you try to give 10% away and you can't make it on 100%, you're thinking, no way this is going to work. Test me. 
Test me and see if I won't bless you. See if I can't do more with that 90% than you could ever do with 100. Test me and see. Because trying always involves the risk of failure. I can remember in late 2010, when we announced to our friends and family that we were going to move back home to start Vortex. I can remember where I was, and it took God a little while to get me there. Because when the idea, the calling first was birthed, all you think about is the excitement of what that vision is. But then it begins to set in that most church plants fail within their first six months. Churches rarely last. Only about 25 to 30% of the churches that are started in the United States make it past their third year. And the reality began to sit in on me, and I can remember thinking, this could be the most colossal failure of my life. We're going to go broke to try to do this. We're going to give up everything that we have right now. But I was so convinced that God had called me to do this that I was willing to fail following God than to stay comfortable and not follow Him. Where are you at when it comes to that? Are you willing to fail. You see, most of us sit back and look at the people who are successful and we idolize them. We look at the Moses who parted a Red Sea. And we sit back and say things like, man, I just want to be like that guy. But that guy has this huge history of failure. And Moses is a condemned, convicted murderer. See, the people that don't fail are only the people that don't try. Because anyone who has ever been successful in any phase of life has failed somewhere. And the last thing that we need to see, the last thing that we need to see about the heart of God as we begin to dive into the story of Jonah is this, is that we all desperately need a second chance. We all desperately need a second chance.
Jesus didn't die because we're going to get it right. He died because we got it wrong. He died because we broke this relationship. He died because there is sin that has been a part of all of our lives. And he died to restore us to God. Not based on our worth, not based on what we have accomplished, but based on God's great mercy. So the first thing that we need to notice about second chances is that second chances are filled with grace and love. And for many of us, the God that we have got to know from a distance is a very judgmental, harsh God. A God who hates sin, and God does hate sin. He hates sin. But you want to know why God hates sin? God hates sin not because he wants something from you, but because he wants something for you. God knows that when we break it, it's blowing our lives up and he is trying to rescue us and redeem us and keep us from breaking everything in our lives. And so he looks at you out of love and compassion and gives us a second chance. Why is it Why is it that so many of us are willing to look at people who struggle in the same places that we do? And instead of leveraging life through grace and love, we just heap on judgment. Why is it that we look at people who are failing and need a second chance, perhaps the exact second chance that we've received or we need, and we look at them and judge them harshly? Look at what the Bible says in Romans 2. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on all of them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? It's important not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Why does God give us a second chance? Because he wants us to look into his heart, to realize that we've broken it, to repent, and to turn to him so that we can follow him and experience real life. You know, after that boy dropped the light bulb, the team that had worked to craft that first light bulb made a decision that they would work for one more day solid. They were so excited about the discovery of a light bulb. And so the team stayed behind again without sleep for another 24 hours straight. 
working on the invention of a light bulb. And at the end of it, the young boy was invited to stay with his dad. And he called him over and Edison again handed the same young boy the light bulb and asked him to carry it upstairs again. That's the God we serve. See, we've broken it. We've ruined it. And God looks at us and says, here's life. It's fragile. But I'm giving it to you. Now carry it and live it. Let's pray. God, thank you for being a God that gives us second chances when we don't deserve them. Thank you for being a God that loves us and cares for us. A God who doesn't give up on us. Thank you today, God, for being the God of second chances. So today, as we look into your heart, many of us today, God, realize that we're in desperate need of a second chance. And so we ask you to come right now and by your grace and mercy to give us that second chance. We long to be restored to you. We want to be made right with you. And so God, by your mercy, come and do that. With nobody looking around, I want to ask you today a question. And it's a question that you need to answer for yourself. And, and I don't want you to let anything stand between the right answer for you The question is, do you need a second chance today? Have you blown it? Have you, like that young boy, dropped your life and shattered it on the ground? And do you need God to come and pick up the pieces and put it back together? Because God is standing there like Edison was that next morning with a new light bulb ready to hand you today if you're willing to receive it. So if that's you and you say, I've blown it, I've messed it up, I have ruined this whole thing, would you raise your hand right now? I need a second chance. If that's you today, raise your hand. Awesome. So God, for those of us that are in the room and I'm right here with them, we need a second chance. God, I just thank you that you're the kind of God that is willing to trust us even though we're going to blow it. That you're the God who's still going to give us the most precious gift of all even if we mess it up. God, that you're the God of second chances. So for those of us that confess today, we need a second chance. God, be with us. Give us grace and love. Lead us into the life that you want us to live. By the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.